This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is Up in the Rafters, where I'm joined by Carolina basketball legend and 2017 national champion, Justin Jackson. Justin, North Carolina wins on Saturday against Notre Dame, 81 to 64. And then they go to the House of Horrors in Charlottesville, where Carolina, I believe it's it's eight, eight or nine. It's been it's been a while since the Tar Heels have won in Charlottesville and Carolina falls to the Cavaliers, 65 to 58. What's kind of been your takeaways from this past week of Carolina basketball? Um, I think it's exactly kind of what we expected, to be honest. Um, you know, in the Notre Dame, Notre Dame game, I think you saw um, defensively they played with a lot of energy, were able to get out in passing lanes, um, get out in transition a little bit. Um, you had some guys that really contributed, um, stepped in, especially when Pete went out um, and made some plays, and they were able to pull that one out. And then you go into – you go at Virginia, which is – in my opinion, one of the hardest places to play in. Um, and obviously you have Mondo go down within the first two minutes. And I think Jalen Washington definitely stepped in very well um, and did the best he could, but it's, it's, it's a hard place to win. Um, and if you're not, you know, if you're not necessarily hitting shots at a high clip or, you know, if you have a few turnovers here and there, um, they take full advantage of that. Um, and so I think they just, you know, they made some plays when they needed to and they ended up pulling it out. The atmosphere is tough in Charlottesville. Uh, always a great crowd, especially when Carolina comes to town. But what is it about Tony Bennett's system that makes it such a difficult matchup besides the fact that, you know, you're going into a hostile place? Yeah, I mean, for one, their their defense is um, is, is probably the most solid defense. You, you rarely see a hole in their defense. Um I think the biggest thing against them is you have to get them moving side to side and you have to hit a good amount of threes against them um, because their biggest thing is they don't want you inside the paint. So if you can't really hit outside shots. Or you're struggling to hit outside shots. It's going to be tough to score against them. Um, and then if you have an empty possession and you have to go back down and you basically have to guard the whole shot clock and possibly more if they get offensive rebound, um, I think that's what makes it so difficult. It's so slow and methodical. Um and they take their time until they get exactly what they want. So I think that's kind of what you saw as North Carolina played pretty well. Um, but they had a few, you know, turnovers here and there. They had a few empty possessions. Um, and then they were able to come down and, and hit a big shot or 
get a big offensive rebound and just take that time right off the clock. So, um, you know, it's always been that way, and it's obviously it's not going to stop for Virginia. Yeah, North Carolina shot 8 of 24 from 3, 33%. Uh, you mentioned the empty possessions and the turnovers. Uh, a lot of times for Carolina, they would have been better just just missing a shot because they turned the ball over 13 times. It it doesn't sound like that high of a number, but in a game where, you know, there's there's let me see, 63 possessions, you're turning the ball over about 20 percent of the time. That's that's not a good system um, or not a good stat for a team that's trying to win a game. Three of those turnovers were uh, questionable charge calls. Uh, we've seen we've seen a few questionable charge calls. I don't think there's been one worse than the the Pittsburgh one where where Leakey was driving and the defender kind of olayed his way out of there, and somehow that was an offensive foul on Leakey. But what what's your take on charges in in college basketball specifically? Because it seems like recently they're they're starting to get kind of out of hand and it's just officials looking to make that call yeah I mean I think it's um they teach you so much in college like to take charges when you have any kind of contact on a drive um and I think you make a good point I think the referees are just looking to make that call um I think a lot of times maybe referees they kind of uh you know they think that something's going to happen on the play when it really doesn't um but at the same time, like I've I've grown to respect referees a little bit more because they're always they're always in the wrong in the coaches and players' minds. They they can never make a good call. Um, so I mean, I, it it the charge call is always going to be a tough one. It's because you could always say, "Oh no, his feet were still moving. He wasn't set. Whatever." But you know, I think the referees are doing the best they can. Uh, maybe we should start, you know, taking some ill-advised charges and see if it works for us. Yeah, I think there's something about, you know, the the suspense when you're waiting to see if it's going to be a block or a charge. And then when a ref can just emphatically that way, that that hand signal, it's like a power signal for them. And I think I think if it's even a 50 50 call, they're going with charges now. We've we've kind of seen that. And it's something that I think Carolina has to adjust with the guards playing off two or just guards playing more under control because it should be a point of emphasis at this at at this point where you know that refs are looking to call those. But North Carolina against Virginia, they were without Pete Nance, who is out with a back injury. And then I think two minutes into the game, Armando Baycott rolls his ankle. X-rays have come back negative on his ankle following the injury. However, his timetable for return remains unknown. How big would that be for this North Carolina team if Armando Baycott is going to miss an extended period of time, especially with Pete Nance already out? Yeah, I mean, that's um, that's 20 and 10 every single night. I mean, he came into the game against Virginia, what, last six or seven games um, of scoring more than 20 points a game. Um, so that's – you're literally taking your anchor out of the offense and defensive end. Um, but I think – what you saw Washington step in and do as a freshman and somebody who hasn't really played a lot, um, I think was, was really impressive. Obviously, you know, North Carolina didn't come out the win and, you know, things didn't necessarily go their way, but I think you can take that as a positive. Um, a guy like him that's so skilled offensively and also 
long, athletic defensively. Um, I think he's going to be able to step in and, and do a decent job of filling that role. Um, and hopefully Armando can come back, you know, fully healthy and ready to go. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with Washington in his minutes, his official stat line from the UVA game. He played 27 minutes, a ton of minutes for him, considering the most he had played the season before was seven against Notre Dame. He was five of 11 from the field, uh, 45 percent, 13 points, six rebounds. Um and and really he he was a, a great player for this Carolina team and and kept them in that in the game and in the minutes he was out there. He was plus seven. He was one of only uh three players that had a positive plus minus. So you see his contributions to this team. The problem is when when he he's he's not somebody who can do this iron five, you know, 40 type minutes if Baycott and Nance are out. So you're you're already on like your third big. Um, how can Carolina kind of make up for for that? Because if you don't have Nance, you don't have Baycott, and you're already at your third center, Will Shaver's already out. How can Carolina kind of adjust to that? Because I think the minutes that they, they really got hurt in the UVA game is when they went to that small-type lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's, at this point, there's really not many other options you can go to. Um, you know, I think – if they do, obviously, Virginia is kind of a uh, – it's a tough game to measure, you know, different lineups against just because of how they play and how slow they play. Um, but I think if you really look at it, I think if they were to go to a smaller lineup and just get out and transition, pressure the ball, um, you don't see a lot of big men in college basketball right now that are, you know, catch on the block and can go get a – you know, go get a bucket every single time. So I think – if you're able to play at least some minutes with a smaller lineup and be able to kind of change the way that you play during that time to give Washington a little bit of a break, obviously he's the only true big right now with Mondo out. Um, I think, you know, I think it could actually work out decently, uh, but obviously it's something they haven't done, you know, in I guess, uh, honestly, a couple of years because Mondo's always been down there. Um, so you know, I'm sure Coach Davis has some things that he's going to work on um, and kind of shift, you know, when it comes to offensively and defensively with a small lineup. But, I mean, that's really the only thing that you can do is try to give, you know, Washington at least a little bit of time, you know, to rest with that lineup. So, you know, hopefully they can figure it out. Yeah, when asked about um, Armando Baycott's absence, and how that kind of affected Carolina's rim protection in the UVA game. Coach Davis was pretty frank, like, you know, having Armando could help, but if you're, if you're just giving up straight dribble drives to the basket, there, there's not really anything that anybody can do. So if you're Carolina, how, how do you get better at, at guarding on the perimeter and limiting those dribble drive type opportunities where a team like UVA who, you know, really wasn't lighting it up um, efficiently, but when you're, when you're shooting two feet away from the basket, you're, you're a lot more likely to make them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest point is you just kind of have to read how the game is going. They really weren't to the second half. Some guys hit some big threes. They really weren't shooting the ball very well from the outside. So as the game goes on, even with how your scout is or whatever, 
the way the game is going, you know that they're more than likely just looking to put their heads down and drive. So if that if that is, you have to, you know, take a step back or maybe on the screens you go under instead of chasing over. Um, there's just little things that you have to do defensively um, to keep them out of the paint. Obviously, Washington's down there, but we don't have a ton of rim protection at the, at the moment. So as a guard, you have to take ownership of that and realize, okay, this guy, he's missed the last three or four threes. I can take a step back because more than likely he's going to be aggressive to try to attack the rim. So I think it's just reading how the game is going. Now, if they're shooting lights out from, from three and you have to get up on them and they're getting past you then, then that's something you have to, you know, figure out maybe you change defenses or whatever. But I think as a, as a player, you have to realize how the game is going and adjust to that. And when you're looking at this North Carolina team, I guess one of the reasons um, to be optimistic, you know, Carolina is 11 and six. They came in with these crazy high expectations. A lot of fans, for whatever reason, are maybe a bit down on this team. We've talked about trying trying to kind of um, readjust the expectations that people should have for this team based off what we've seen for almost two years now. Um, but if you if you are looking for something to be optimistic about, if you look at Ken Palm's strength of schedule, Carolina has played the third toughest schedule in the country up to this point. You look at, you know, UVA on the road, Alabama neutral site, Ohio State on a neutral site, Indiana on the road, Iowa State at a neutral site, Virginia Tech on the road. How can that help this team knowing that as the season goes on, they have been battle tested whether you know they they did win or or they did lose a game but they have been in these games against really good competition yeah i mean i think it's twofold it helps obviously their resume for you know the committee whenever they you know start making decisions as far as the term and things like that but i think the only way to really be battle tested is to go through the fire and i think obviously that all the teams that you named were really good teams and a lot of them were away games or neutral sites so even if they didn't win those games, they figured out and they now have the experience of, okay, this is what we have to do in these particular situations. And so I think going forward with these type of games, losing at UVA, using a, losing at Virginia Tech, beating a good Ohio State team, you know, in MSG, like those games are going to mentally prepare you for tougher games down the road. Um, and so obviously I think that's always a good parameter, um, whenever you're able to play against tough teams like this, um, win or lose, I think it's going to end up helping them, you know, as they try to make this run towards the end of the season. Through six conference games, Carolina is three and three. Uh, I believe that is tied for eighth in the conference right now. I'm not sure how many people thought that North Carolina would be here at this point, but, they are back in action on Saturday against Louisville. Louisville is in dead last in the conference. They're 0-6. Um, where do you think this team's sense of urgency has to be playing a winless, desperate Louisville team that you know is, is going to do anything possible to get their first conference win at the KFC Yum Center? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it sounds cliche, but this is a game where you have to focus on North Carolina, right? Like you obviously have the scout for Louisville and 
the player personnel, all that kind of stuff. But for North Carolina, they have to go in and try to continue the momentum that they maybe the positives that they had in the UVA game and kind of kickstart, you know, this this run back. Um, you know, obviously you go into a game like this, and like you said, 0 and 6, 2 and 14 overall it's very easily to just kind of walk in there and just sleepwalk through the game and you might even win, but you lose an opportunity to kind of build on, you know, what you've been working on in practice or how you want to try to finish out the season. Um, so this is a game where I think they just have to focus on themselves, how they play, how they want to play going forward um, and just do that out in the game. Don't play down to the level of, you know, kind of the record of, of Louisville. Yeah, Louisville gave them a really good game last year. Um, they got Kenny Payne this past <laughs> offseason from the NBA um, to be their head coach, and he's already under a ton of a ton of pressure. He, people in Louisville probably want him on the hot seat, and one way to get yourself off the hot seat is, is picking up a, a signature win against um, the preseason number one team. Would you categorize this game as a must win for the Tarians? um I wouldn't say it's a must win I would I would change it to maybe a trap game um I would say that it's more of a trap game as far as it's very very easily easy to just walk into a game like this and just expect to win right and who knows Louisville might come out and be on fire or they might have a totally different energy about them um so I think it's more of a trap game that they have to really stay locked in and go in and take care of business right away um, and hopefully get them up out of there quickly. Yeah, if if they don't have Nance, if they don't have Baycott, um, all of a sudden, you know, the the talent level starts to, to shift and even out. Um, but Carolina, back in action January 14th, this Saturday, Louisville, 2 p.m. on ESPN, and then they play – Back in Chapel Hill on Tuesday against Boston College. We will be back after those two games to break it all down when it comes to Carolina basketball. Appreciate everybody watching and listening. And Justin, appreciate the time as always. Appreciate you, man. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.